I would like you to turn to the book of First Thessalonians, please. First Thessalonians. We're going to do a Bible study today. I'm going to read to you an epistle and a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. We're going to go through the entire book. So don't try to learn this. Don't sit there and consider my points and the facts. I want you to hear this word as a word from the Lord and respond by the Holy Spirit as he is speaking to you. Get out of your left brain and your Western thought of, I have to remember this point, that point, and this point, and just respond to the reading of the word. When Paul would write a letter to a church, he would send a reader with it. You remember, most of them were illiterate at that time. So they didn't all receive a letter, and he didn't go to the Xerox machine and copy it, and everybody got a copy. They listened to the word that was being spoken to, the, to them under the unction of the Holy Spirit. We have the privilege to have the written word. So we read it, we study it, we learn its points, we try to memorize it. That's all good. But sometimes we are so left brain and so westernized that we try to get every point and miss the impact of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read this letter to you. And I want you to respond and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I believe the Spirit is saying to this church, it's time to lead. It's time to take the lead. And that is an apostolic injunction to us. We're a people, we've been on this block for 25, 26 years. We've been studying, we've been growing together. Some of you are new coming into this fellowship But God has called this church to be apostolic, and that means it leads, it sets foundations, it goes before the others, and it pioneers, and it brings the weight of God's authority. And that's what God wants to do with us as a church, but he wants to do that with you. It's time for you to lead, to lead your life, to lead your household, to lead your marriage, to lead your family, and to take lead. And so that is why I'm reading to you 1 Thessalonians. I marvel at this book. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. To understand it, you need to realize that according to Acts 17, verse 2, that when Paul went to Thessalonica, he spent three Sabbaths in that city. Now, someone do the math. How many is three Sabbaths? How many weeks is that? Oh, you're good. You're good. Consider that Paul went and preached in this city for three weeks and established a church in three weeks. A riot broke out, persecution broke out, they had to flee and leave that church and Paul was concerned that did the foundation that he laid, did it remain? And his letter to the Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, is really an apostolic letter calling to review their lead, their power. What a unique church. I want a pattern after that. So we'll start at chapter 1 and we'll begin. So the question is, what's it going to take for us to lead? Paul says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. That's what Paul's talking about. He speaks of that in other... uh, Uh, to the church at Corinthians, that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. He said they're steadfast, constant in their faith, hope, and love. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So, what is it going to take to lead your family, and lead your life, it's three things. The Word of God, spiritual power, and full conviction. That's what set this church apart. That's how this church established itself in three weeks and endured persecution and is still standing as Paul writes the letter. Three things. While we study the Word, we read the Word, I hope you do, you're never going to lead if you're not reading the Word. Secondly, the Holy Spirit's indwelling power, power and spirit. It's not enough to know the Word of God, you have to manifest its very power and presence. And here's the third component that is lacking in many of our lives, and that is a full conviction. He doesn't say partial conviction, he doesn't say a Sunday go-to-meeting conviction, He doesn't say Wednesdays now and then. Full conviction. Paul was amazed that when he preached at this church, when he brought the gospel to them, they not only heard the word, saw the demonstration of the spirit, but they responded in a full conviction. He ends this epistle saying that the Lord sanctify you through and through, body, soul, and spirit, fully convicted that this is God's word He died for me. I will live for him. You can't lead if you're not under full conviction. You will go to the middle of the pack or you'll go to the end of the line. Anybody with me? So if you're going to lead, if it's time for you to step up, if it's time for this church to step up, we not only study the word and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we need to be a people of full conviction. Amen? And that's what Paul's looking for. Let's go on. To become what? How do we become these leaders? We go on. Verse 5. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded uh, forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's blown away. He said, your reputation is great. Why? Because they became imitators of Paul and imitators of Jesus. 
They became examples, he said, to all the other churches in the region. You know how you do that? Full conviction. How do we become examples? How do we imitate? Paul says this. It's it's interesting. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't say, learn my doctrines. Remember my letters. Paul had the conviction that he was living at full conviction under the Lord Jesus Christ so that if you saw Paul, you saw Jesus. And so now, these Thessalonians could say, if you see us, you see Jesus. Now, it's good to know the doctrines, it's good to know the word, it's good to pray, and so forth. But look at if you're not manifesting the very presence of Jesus, if you're not Jesus with skin on, you're not bringing Christ into a situation. People don't come to doctrine. They come to Jesus. People don't come to Jesus because of an argument. They come to Jesus because of his love and his drawing power. And that's what we bring. That's what we're to become. If we're to be apostolic, it means we walk as Jesus walked. First John says we are as he is in this world. We are in this world as he is. In other words, we're present. We bring Christ, the hope of glory, the expectation of his presence. And so, if we're going to be apostolic, if we're going to lead, and it's time to lead in your house, Jesus needs to show up in you. Amen? You need to be Jesus with skin on. Not a representation, but the real deal. Didn't he put himself in you? Isn't, didn't he remove your sin because of the cross so that he could put his spirit of holiness in you to reside in you, to abide in you? He doesn't come to visit you. He indwells you. The Father and I will make our home in you. So where you go, he goes. And so this world needs Jesus to show up. How many of you know that? How many of you know Jesus needs to show up at your job tomorrow? Well, you're there. How many of you know Jesus needs to show up in your marriage? And you've been praying for your mate to do that. What about you? So this is amazing. Paul says, because of your full conviction, you became an example to all the other churches. In three weeks, people! That's what full conviction can do. Have you ever had a radical experience in Jesus that changed you? Yeah. Changed you. And you didn't fade back. This thing was a marker point in your life. It's time for us to hit those marker points. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, aren't your eyes clear enough to realize that this world is messed up? How can you still have one foot in the world and one in the kingdom when that world is just going to burn you? Let's make up our minds. Let's lead. Isn't it time to lead? Isn't it time to lead your family? Isn't it time to lead this community into reality instead of this messed up world that keeps shifting its reality, distorting what is right and what is wrong, what is nature? Let's go on. Now, therefore... How shall we live? He goes on, he says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. 
right? We're now in chapter 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at uh, Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But listen, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, our own selves, because you became very dear to us. Genuine caring. That's what a leader does. Genuinely cares. Most people in the world are tired of Christians spouting out religious talk or leaving religious magazines or this or that and not caring. Sometimes we do outreach, we hand out things, we give food, we give clothing. But how many of you care about these people? We want, we want to win them to Jesus, win them to Jesus. But why do we care? An apostle... And a church that's apostolic genuine, genuinely cares. People wear this title all the time. I'm an apostle. I'm the apostle this. I'm the apostle. They have power. They are. What does Paul say? I'm a nursemaid. I held you. I coddled you. I cared for you. I could have come. I could have asked. I'm an apostle. Give me the best room. Feed me. Put me up. Take a collection for me. He said, I could have done that. And he said, I didn't come speaking flattering words and giving you great exhortations. He said, I cried over you. You became dear to me. I met you. I I wept with you. And I shared my heart with you. We were under great persecution. I could have rested, but I continued. Even though the city began to riot, I met with you. He labored with them. And so if we're going to be a church that's going to be the lead for the kingdom of God in this community, hey, and I don't want to be better than any other church. I pray we're all leading. All churches, the body of Christ needs to lead. This is not an us versus them of any other church. It's all of us as believers. But if we're going to lead this world out of sin and into the kingdom, we've got to go into the muck of mire and care for them. So when they come to you and they smell and they stink and they look filthy, hug them. Care for them. Reach out to them. You used to be that way. Someone cared for you. And when I think of Paul, so many people think that Paul's harsh and Paul's rough. Listen, he says, I'm a nursemaid. I took care like I cared for a child, being affectionately desirous of you. I was ready to share everything I could and also myself. An apostolic church invests their life into the work of Christ. This isn't part time. This is our lives. 
You're going to leave here and go to some restaurant. You're going to go somewhere today. You're going to be somewhere today. Would you invest yourself in somebody? This society is so isolated. People are so lonely. We're so used to walking past one another. Nobody seems to communicate. Try it. Start smiling. How you doing? Hold a door for someone. It blows their mind. They're amazed. And so Paul was affectionate. No pretension. He was genuinely caring. And he went on and he said this, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You're our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He labored. Now, there was a problem in Thessalonica. They had a problem in their doctrine they, that they, they thought if you died, you, you would miss the return of Jesus, and others felt that there was the return of Jesus already, so many wouldn't go to work. They, they just waited. So they had a problem with working. So what did Paul do? Paul invested himself. He went there, got a job. He was a tent maker. He got a job every day to make tents, and at night he would come and visit them because he didn't want to take anything from them to think that he was doing this out of the, the need for money or any food. He worked for himself, labored for himself so he wouldn't be a burden on them, but also to set an example. As he says in his next letter to the Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. But those who lead know the value of hard work. Pentecostals want Jesus to do it all. Make a way, Jesus, make a way. We're talking about a man who gets beaten, gets stoned, gets kicked out of cities. He goes to the next one, a riot breaks out, they break into the house, they take the leader of the synagogue out, they're ready to stone him. They have to escape at night because they've been beaten so many times. And he, he could have, he was beaten in Philippi, he comes to Thessalonica, he could have laid back, but no, he goes out, he works, he labors, and he spreads the gospel. Put yourself into the work of the gospel, people. Come on, let's labor for Jesus. He said, I was like a nursemaid to you. And then in this portion of Scripture, he says, I'm like a father. I need to tell you. I need to admonish you. I need to instruct you. We need to be that for each other. You know, in Scripture, the Bible says this of, of how we're supposed to be one to the other as we labor in love and care for each other. He says this, the Bible says this, speak the truth in love to one another, warn one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, rebuke one another, challenge one another, be at peace with each other, love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with each other, stop passing judgment on each other, accept one another as Christ accepts you, instruct, teach, and admonish one another, greet one another with a holy kiss, have equal concern for each other, carry each other's burdens, be patient with one another, be kind, compassionate to one another, submit to one another in reverence to Christ, don't lie to each other, and whatever gift you have, use it to serve one another. 
does this sound like the body of Christ? We're supposed to be here for one another. We labor in love for each other. If we're going to lead, we have to manifest that. We have to be an example of that, and that's what Thessalonica was. Their reputation filled the region. Paul said, I care about you, so I'm going to tell you what you need to know. So he says, you you, you need to understand. I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to encourage you. And I'm also going to push you along. And so that's that's the very word of prophecy, to edify, exhort, and comfort. And so that's the presence of Christ in our midst. So today, if you're beaten down because of a particular sin, you failed God in a sin, we're here for you. We're praying for you. Confess to someone so someone who's been in that can help you pull you out of that. If you're weary today, we want to encourage you. We want to strengthen you. If you're afraid, huddle around that person. Strengthen them. Pray for them. Labor for them. Share what you have with someone else. Are you getting the picture of what an apostolic church is? It's Jesus. It's the presence of Christ. Paul labored. Paul gave. See, does this model, this model's the church, but is that what we're seeing in the body of Christ? We're strangers to each other. We we, uh, uh, commute here and we commute home. And we never see each other till the next week. That's got to stop, people. you got to have your phone filled with these phone numbers. you got to start calling people. Just text somebody. Be in communion. Be in fellowship with somebody. Can I get an amen on that? Can I say put some labor into your Christianity? Can I say get to work? Can I exhort you? Can I commend you? Can I encourage you? This has to be one to another, one to another. That's why the power of the church is is so weak because we wait for superstars to do it. The plan of Jesus is to spread the gospel person to person, to person to person. Thank God for radio. Thank God for TV. Thank God for all that. But the key here is someone needs to meet Jesus. And again, like I said, Pentecostals, we want Jesus to do the work. God, make it easy for me. God, make a way. God, heal. What if God doesn't heal? Then I guess we got to bring somebody food. We got to wipe their brow. We got to change their sheets. And we got to care for them and visit them in the hospital or wherever they are be easier if he healed them. That's really the attitude of us. Paul said, I labored for you. I worked hard for you. And I showed you by example what it is to be a father. I showed you by example what it is to mother. That's what maturity is in the body of Christ. We've got 10,000 teachers, Paul says in Corinthians, Corinthians, but so few fathers. What does he mean? Apostolic leadership, those who care. Oh man, I thought when I moved into the apostleship that I wouldn't have to do anything. People carry my bags and I don't have to do nothing. I got power in the Holy Ghost. You're missing the point. 
the greatest in the kingdom becomes what? A servant of all, the least. A servant of all. And so if, we're at, if I'm asking you to lead and Paul is calling us to lead and Jesus says, I made you to lead, it means we're moving into servanthood like never before. Amen? And I'll tell you what, there's no love like it anywhere else. Let's continue verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word from men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. What does he mean by that? You Gentiles out here, way out here in Thessalonica, got saved, birthed a church in three weeks. Your witness, your community, your, your fellowship is as great as the churches that have been established for years in Judea. I'm impressed. So we've been doing this 26 years. Some of you, you're new here. Hi. This is where we want to move into. It's time. Say it with me. It's time. I took the lead. Say it again. It's time. I took the lead. Amen. Amen. Let's go on. He said this, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as did they from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. He's a little upset <laughs> with what's happened to him and the Judaizers who are working against him. He just had to say that. He goes on. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Did this guy fall in love with these people? In three weeks. They ripped us apart. They pulled us away from you. Could you imagine a mother who gives birth to a child holding that baby for three weeks and someone rips it out of their arms and separates them? What will the mother do? Weep and cry and pray and long for that baby to meet again. Paul says, me, I, I want to see you. I'm not getting paid to come see you. I miss you. You're my crown. You're my glory. I think of each one of you. Wow. Are there people you've met in your life that time and distance has separated from you and you care for them and you care about their faith? You're worried about them. Paul intercedes for them in prayer. Come on, how many of you know prodigals right now that have walked away from the Lord? They're distant from Jesus. Oh, that God would give us a wash over of his compassion and care for them. We're so busy, we don't take time out. I'm speaking to me. You can, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to talk to me for a minute. You're so busy that you never take time to pray for the people God lays on your heart. That was between me and him. 
I just got rebuked. He goes on. Chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were willing to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter tempted you and our labor would be in vain. I can't take it anymore. Timothy, go back to Thessalonica. Our newborn baby, born in three weeks. I don't know if they can stand under the affliction. I don't know if they can stand under the persecution. Why did he care so much? He invested his whole being into them. Now listen, you and I have been ripped apart. We've been hurt. We've been abused. We've been afflicted by people we've poured into. We've been disappointed and hurt, haven't we? Anybody got an amen on that one? So the, the inclination is to not invest in people. I'm going to excuse me, but this is between me and God again. But yes, I've been wounded and hurt, and so many times I don't want to expose my heart once again. Because I get tired of being stepped on, and I get tired of being disappointed. I have to tell you, but God is telling us, you've got to trust again. You've got to pour out your heart in people again. You've got to give again. And I'm speaking for all of us. It hurts. And so we cover up. And so we hide it. But that is not Christ. And that's not Paul. He poured everything he had into these people. So that only three weeks out, months out, he can't take it. He splits up his team. He says, Tim, you've got to go back and check on them. I'm afraid we're going to lose them. How many of us are afraid we're going to lose our loved ones? We're going to lose them. So send a prayer back. That's what this is. It's intercession. He cries out to Timothy. If you will, Timothy represents the Holy Spirit. How many of you will, will cry out to God and say, God, send your Holy Spirit. They're struggling. They're weak. Oh, but I love this. <laughs> we keep going. Verse 6. But now that Timothy came to us from you, he brought us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly. And you long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and afflictions, we've been comforted oh, about you through your faith. For now we live... If you're standing fast in the Lord, what thanksgiving we can return to God for you, for all joy that we feel for your sake before God, as we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. Oh, he was so happy. Again, imagine that mother who lost the child only to find out that child is well, healthy, and growing strong. That mother says, someday we'll be reunited. But it just soothes my heart that my baby is well. They're enduring the affliction and persecution. And Paul is so pleased that they're standing strong. 
Don't you know Jesus cares about us that way? Don't you know he looks at this church and he says, come on, people, I know you have to endure the affliction of prosperity. I know you have to endure the comforts of being lavished on and being the richest people in the world and being so preoccupied by all the distractions. I'm concerned for you that I'm losing you. You're out playing with all your toys. You're forgiving my love and my passion. But wouldn't it be great if he said, oh, but you, I feel good that you're not being swept or enticed by this world. You're standing fast. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's what I want to be. I want to please him. Paul said, we're so pleased. Verse 11, now may your God and Father himself and Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love one for another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord and Jesus with the saints. He's, he's so happy. Again, what he demonstrated to them and what he's feeling for them, he needs it moving in them, and he's pleased to see that it is. It's happening. And so he encourages them all the more. Care one for another. Labor in love. Care. Be genuinely caring. Intercede for each other in prayer. Now he goes on. He says you need to increase in maturity. Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. I am calling this church to another level of glory. To an ever-increasing glory. We haven't arrived. We haven't arrived. We've got another level of glory to go to. Are you with me? Will you go there with me? Will you move in the maturity of Christ? Will we become leaders again to all others? And so I need you to continue more so and more so. And he says, I need you to exercise pure love. Pure love. And so he goes into sexual love. He says this, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, God has called us not to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Why talk about sexual impurity? First of all, you've got to clean your own act up. And the most enticing thing for any individual is sexual immorality. It's the free drug. We're talking about it on Wednesday nights. The Western society is addicted to sexual immorality. This nation is addicted to sexual immorality. It has become so warped and so distorted that we don't even identify gender anymore. It is just so messed up. And can I be honest? We are, we are so messed up sexually. Not me, Pastor. I'll leave it alone. <laughs> Just come out Wednesday nights. We'll talk about it. 
So it has everything to do with how you carry yourself, your thought life, your process. So first of all, he's concerned that you understand love. Erotic love, eros, love, is for that which is within covenant of marriage. And he says you need to control your body and understand how to love one another. Don't offend one another because in the Gentiles they're, they're having affairs, they're having adulterous affairs, they're doing all sorts of premarital sex and all this kind of stuff, immorality. And he's saying we've got to get this right. It's in the church heavy. Now he goes on and he says now about others concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Again, more and more. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Take care of yourself. Take care of your own business. Don't be a busybody. Take care of your own home. Live right. Live for God. Pretty simple instruction. Do it better and better and better. That's what a leader does. You become the example from everyone else. So ask yourself, people, please, am I a good example to my children? Am I a good example to my neighbor? Am I a good example to my coworkers? That's what Christianity is all about, man. This is the real stuff. I know guys that can quote scripture. I remember being at GM, a guy asked, you're a Christian? Yeah, he goes, well, you're a Christian like Sam? I said, I don't know what you mean. Well, he can quote scriptures. He's always trying to get people saved, but he's always late for work, and he takes longer breaks than anybody else. So I don't know about Sam, but I know about Jesus and me, and I'm going to live the best I can unto Jesus and be a witness for him. Right? So that's what a leader is. We don't go with the crowd. We lead. Say that I lead, I lead. for Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ. Amen. You've got to start adopting that. You've got to start walking in that. You've got to start being apostolic. I'm going to lead in Jesus. Amen? Yes. Amen? Amen. Take it serious. Let's go on. Last of all. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who fall asleep, that you may not grieve as others do with no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who fall asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The the falling asleep that is those who are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with the shout of a command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, they were worried that those who died, that's it. Jesus didn't return yet. Are they going to go to heaven? They're dead. Oh man, bummer, they missed it. They had the sense of an imminent return. And if you weren't alive when Jesus returned, what happened to the dead ones? Paul says, don't worry about the dead ones. They're going to rise first. When he says, and the shout is, guess who goes first? All those who are dead, will their bodies will raise up. This is the first resurrection. Okay? That's what the rapture is. It is the first resurrection. The dead in Christ rise 
and those who are on the earth living at the time of his return, they are instantly changed in the twinkling of an eye and put on a resurrected body. It's the first resurrection of all those who are saved. Now, there's a dispute as to when that happens. I'm not getting into that today. Okay? We've studied that. We understand that. Let me just say this. There's only one resurrection of the righteous. You can't have them resurrected before they're all in. I'm just putting it out there. Okay? So it's the final call of all the righteous. Can't resurrect half the body of Christ and then go through seven years and then resurrect the second half. There's only one resurrection of the righteous. So when he comes, boom, we're resurrected. All right, I went into it. That's my opinion. Okay. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you. Again, for you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. People are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction. But you are not in darkness, for that day will not surprise you or take you because you're a child of light. We don't work in the darkness. I'm, I'm moving quickly. We're not asleep. We're awake. We're sober. Those who sleep at the night, those who get drunk, it's in the night. But since you belong to the day, be sober. Have the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live again. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Encourage, encourage, encourage. So what's he saying? Whether you died before Jesus returned or you're alive before Jesus' return, you're his. Keep about the Father's business. Do the work of the Lord. It's not going to overtake you suddenly because you're good. You're in him. You're not, you're not destined to wrath. What wrath? We're certainly destined to the wrath of man. Jesus said we'll have tribulation always. They were in the middle of tribulation. The wrath he's talking about is the judgment of God. So you don't have to worry about the judgment of God. You're there. So do the work. So encourage one another. To do what? Everything he just wrote. So stay faithful. Encourage. Be genuine. Labor in love. Intercede. Increase in maturity and stay encouraging one another. You can read the last portion at home. Again, you're not going to remember this, but I hope you were impacted by it. And it's a very simple message. It's time for us to lead. It's time for us to live as Christians live. I want to be that church. So I'm going to encourage you, exhort you, and spur you on to be the leader God has called you to be.